On this episode, we discuss Doolittle. Why do they call him Doolittle? I think he does a lot in this movie. That's Stu, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> and it was what Audrey predicted was going to be the gag. <laughs> that is the exact thing I have written in my notes to say, Stu, for this, for this part. Oh, two peas in a pod. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh, hey there. I'm Stuart Wellington. Top of the morning, or whenever you're listening to this. Midnight? I don't know. I'm Elliot Kalin. And Dan, hey, who's and... joining us? Yeah, or Dan. Stuart? Uh, or Dan? I or thought Stuart? we decided on Stuart, but I can say it. It's it's David Sims of the Blank Check Podcast, and he is the uh, film reviewer for The Atlantic. That's and right. that, is a, that is a big... High-toned magazine. That is a that is a respected mm-hmm. publication. That's a two uh, monocle Elliot. magazine. <laughs> That's just called glasses, Stu. Oh, oh, what? <laughs> Hi guys, thank you for having me. Yes, I did. I did uh, poop all over Doolittle in the hallowed pages of the Atlantic, which was founded by <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson and people like that. I mean, it took so a, such a that. it took such a brave stand against slavery. Before and during the Civil War, and now you've continued that tradition by taking a brave stand against Doolittle. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I thought it was a. I, I mean, I think it's kind of the Pixies' best album, right? Um, yeah, that was. Yeah. That it's was another like, of the jokes that I was going to make. So we've all round robin I mean, it's, on it's not uh, my, each other's jokes. It's not my favorite, but it's probably their most accomplished. You're a Surfer Rosa man, I assume. No, I was, uh, what, because of the nudity on the cover, Dan? The answer sure. was when I was a kid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know the band The Pixies particularly well, so I'm just going to assume they have an album called Out the Door, Through the Window, out of the line in It's a Wonderful Life, where he says, Out you two Pixies go, out the door, through the window. And I'm going to say, that's my favorite album. Does that, do they have that? Is that a real thing? Uh, I'm going to go check Metal Archives and see if it's listed. <laughs> I mean, The Pixies are on Metal Archives? <laughs> Uh, actually, no results found, so no, I guess not. <laughs> 80s alt-rock not heavily influenced by Frank Capra, I guess. Uh, it's disappointing. <laughs> it's very disappointing. Uh, I mean, but you know that punk was because John Doe, major punk figure, named himself, I assume, after the Capra movie, Meet John Doe. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I ha- And I have to assume, if I ever meet him, I'll be like... Meet John Doe, like the movie, and he'll laugh and laugh. Yeah, so normally if you're just tuning in, you're thinking this is an alternative music podcast. (laughs) But no, in fact, with four experts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, in fact, we're a movie podcast, and we watched a movie, and now we're about to talk about it. And what What kind of movies watch? What kind of movies do we usually watch, Stu? Uh, you know, we kind of run the gamut. Sometimes they're (laughs) comedies. Almost always, they're moving images with sound attached. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very fair. Very it's rarely true. do we watch a, a silent painting and then We've review never, it. Or a silent movie. We've never watched a silent movie. Or Mel Brooks's silent movie. So Yeah. Or uh, The Artist, the best picture winner I consistently forget existed. <laughs> which is a mostly yeah. silent movie. Now, guys, was that a French movie? Because I feel like when Parasite came out, they're like, first foreign film to win the Oscar. <laughs> 
this is a good point. I believe The Artist is technically a French movie. Although, I think that yeah. it has American actors in it, like John it Goodman is in it. But I think what they were saying a lot of John was Goodman's first foreign. John Goodman's in Parasite? Was, yes, John Goodman <laughs> plays, he plays the, uh, he, he, he's, you know the guy who's in The Host and Parasite and Snowpiercer? Uh-huh. That's John Goodman. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, wow. What yeah, yeah. He's, he's in the makeup chair for hours and hours. It's highly offensive. Uh, no, I think that what they were saying a lot was first foreign language film. To win yeah. the Oscar, yeah. it seems and, like a weird hair splitting to me, honestly. But I mean, to be honest, they probably forgot that the artist existed. <laughs> yeah, that's probably. It. As I consistently do every time I look up past Best Picture winners, and I'm like, oh yeah, the artist. Oh yeah, yeah, and they used uh, the soundtrack from Vertigo in it. Kim Novak got all mad. Yeah, yeah, sure, the artist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I just spit coffee all over my office wall, imagining John Goodman being transformed magically into <laughs> Kang Ho Song. <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, it would take magic. It would take a spell of some kind or a cloak of disguise. Um, so what movie? Is, yeah. No, I just to, to to finish the thing that you teed up for Stuart, but he deliberately uh, went. He zagged on you. Uh, we normally watch bad movies, and uh, then we talk about them. And uh, this week we watched Doolittle. Now, uh, guys, uh, Doolittle, of course, as you all know, uh, is the story, is an, a new adaptation of the classic story of Dr. Doolittle, the man who could talk to animals. And I just want to say, mm-hmm. forewarning, this is going to be a slightly awkward episode for me because I know someone who was involved in the making of Doolittle. Uh, I know actually two, one person, one of the screenwriters, and one animal. And I brought the animal with me just to uh-huh. like make sure it's okay with everybody. So if you look on your screen... You'll see there's a tiny <laughs> raccoon right there. Oh, wow. Hold on. Let me take a oh, picture Oh, wow. I didn't know we were getting two guests. I didn't know we were going to have a yeah. celebrity for the... Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Yeah, who's, was that Catherine Deneuve played the raccoon? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. well, act- actually, they really uh, now, brought them all in. Now, now, uh, now uh, this is... Uh, is this is Rick Raccoon? Rain, he used to be Ranger Rick, but he was drummed out of the force, of course. Yeah, I'd rather not talk about it. How mm-hmm. I was once a park ranger and then was dismissed uh, for causes mm. that I would call unsubstantiated allegations. That's fair. And now your father oh, was, of God. course, the famous Rocky Raccoon. Yeah, the Beatles wrote a song <sighs> about him. It was called "Love Me Do." Now, <laughs> now, uh, Rick, you were in Doolittle, yes, Jesus. but I don't remember seeing a raccoon. In the movie, no, they cut all my scenes. Oh, oh why did boy. why did they do that? Well, there was a whole subplot about a raccoon that wanted to be a famous chef, and they thought it was too close to Ratatouille. And I was like, Ratatouille is about a rat, but I'm a raccoon. And well, I gotta say, <laughs> I totally understand the point there. There they made but what was it like being on the set of Doolittle oh wow I mean the craziest Uh thing was I was the only real animal in the whole movie the rest was all computer animated so Uh it was just me and Bobby Downs that's what I call Robert Downey Jr. just Uh looking at a bunch of tennis balls and pretending there was like (laughs) gorillas or ostriches or whatever Uh there and who's gonna be your celebrity voice uh, when when it was finally dubbed oh Catherine Deneuve just like uh, just like Mr. Sims said oh okay well so uh, do you have any funny behind the scenes stories about no he doesn't have anything funny about it nothing is funny about this at all Uh, two things well Dan well Dan if I could talk please Dan 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 if I could speak please Dan you had had your time now let me have my time excuse me excuse me excuse me excuse me sir excuse me excuse me (laughs) 
Okay. Now, uh, for the audience at home, I do have a tiny puppet on my finger and a raccoon. That's the thing thing you're missing out on. To mention is somehow it's more annoying than if he was just doing the voice that he has a puppet on his finger that he is continuing to move around as he talks. You know why, Dan? Because I'm a professional. Yeah. I'm just reeling from the news that this movie had subplots that were cut out and reshoots. And so I, 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 that, I didn't show up. That was not like uh, apparent at all. In oh, no. It. Wow. It was crazy. Originally, Doolittle didn't even talk to animals. That was something they added. It was about a guy who thinks he can talk to animals, but he can't really. And the animals are like, why does this guy think he understands us? We're not saying that. How long is this going to go on? Hey, Rick, uh, I think it's time for you to to head out. Uh, I should probably start with a summary of the movie. Okay, well, I've got some other funny stories. There was a time John Goodman stopped by, but we didn't recognize him because he had all this makeup on him. And we thought it was the guy from Parasite. It's the same guy. Really? Yes, the same guy. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'm just going to get going now. See you guys. He's slowly walking off the screen. Mm -hmm. I just Mm want to... Still walking. Okay. And And he's off. (laughs) I want to provide a little more uh, background just to say that this is, I mean, like the Dr. Doolittle novels are by Hugh Lofting, uh, and they began in, uh, the first one was published in 1920. The final was published in 1952. There are 15 books, um, and uh, you know some of the, some of the books were posthumous, collecting uh, stories that he left behind. Uh, you gotta admire anybody's work ethic when they keep writing after they've died. Yes, it's like him and uh, <laughs> an English an Englishman, uh, and it comes out through his stories. They have a certain. I don't know. They've got the same vibe as like Mary Poppins, I think, in a certain way, like other English children's stories of the same basic period. But there's um, a little bit there's a little bit of a babar in it too, in the yeah. sense of it is the purpose of white Europeans to train all animals and people to be like them. Uh yes. which does not age well. Mm-hmm. Um in the books. I remember loving those books when I was a kid, but I you know, I wasn't really thinking about what it, you know? What rights does a giant talking snail have when uh, when Doctor <laughs> right. Doolittle shows up to meet him? I believe there's a book where he goes to the moon. Am I right in thinking that? Uh, probably Doctor Doolittle in the moon. And I'm reading. I just found this uh, first sentence of the plot summary. Doctor Doolittle has landed on the moon. So I don't <laughs> Chapter know. Chapter one, there, page but. one. <laughs> I mean, it gets down to business. You can say that for it. Well, the yeah, thing yeah. was, they had found a sort of alien monolith on the moon, and right. they needed Dr. Doolittle to come talk to it. Uh, and he's the only one who understood that language. Mm-hmm. Yes. The great communicator. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. And so uh, Dr. Doolittle is a movie. Uh, so yeah, this yep. is well, a... That's and, a different movie. This is Doolittle. That's true. Dr. Doolittle there's, has Eddie Murphy in it, right? There's two previous Dr. Doolittle or movies. Or Rex, Rex Harrison, there's depending on... The uh, Rex Harrison movie from the late 60s, which... In the great book, uh, Pictures at a Revolution, and in the great book, The Studio, they talk about, respectively, its Oscar campaign and the making of. I should have named the books in the the reverse order. Uh, And it was one of these, it was kind of one of the last gasps of this studio system where they were like, we're going to make real big budget, family-friendly musicals, and then we're going to force the Oscars to nominate them. And then there was the Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy, where it's pretty much just the name and the fact that he can talk to animals. I think that's the, because he's not, in the books, he's not really a doctor, is he? I can't remember. Well, he's a veterinarian. Oh, so like, like this movie. But he's not like a people doctor. Right. Whereas I believe in the Eddie Murphy movie, as in this, he is 
in, in any he's like a surgeon he's like a human surgeon yeah. who has long repressed his ability to speak to animals well, like he's ignored it his whole life until now that's the other thing is mm-hmm. in the Doolittle books and in this one it's a skill you can learn Anyone right. who pays close enough attention to animals learn to talk. But in Dr. Doolittle, it's like more of a uh, drop-dead Fred-type ability. Now, hold on. I, I'm going back to the first book just to get a little context. He is a respected physician and a quiet bachelor living with his spinster sister, Sarah, in the small English vi- village of Puddle- Puddleby-on-the-Marsh. Okay. See, I thought he was like a doctor of literature or something like that. No, or it like says a, John Doolittle, MD here. So wow, I guess. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of surprised they didn't name this movie John Doodle, MD, and make it like a gritty reboot of the <laughs> Dr. Like Doodle House. story. Yeah, where he's like... MD stands for Massive Ding Dong. <laughs> I mean, that would be kind of gritty, I guess. <laughs> I mean, if you say anything, it sounds pretty gritty in my I'm cool doc- gritty voice. I'm a doctor of penis having. <laughs> so the uh, so let's get into this. So this is the newest version of Doodle, and they make a few strange decisions with the story, yes. and the performers make some very strange decisions with their performances, and, well, let's get into it, because it's kind of all over the place. We begin, as most great movies do, with a prologue that explains who all the characters are and all their backstory, so that later when the char- other characters are piecing together the clues of why Dr. Doolittle has secluded himself from humanity, we, the audience, already know all of this, and it is boring. But, uh, and it, this... It's this is though the best part of the movie. It's this animated prologue that looks beautiful, uh, where they explain it's narrated by Emma Thompson, who of course throughout the movie is a parrot. Uh, mm-hmm. Where it talks about how Doctor Doolittle, he was a famous doctor who could talk to animals. He had an explorer girlfriend named Lily, and she's kind mm-hmm. of like a, um, I don't know, what would you call like a like a cutthroat island Gina Davis type, you know, based on the way she dresses and. Uh, <laughs> Like kind what? of a lady lady pirate buccaneer explorer. <laughs> and uh, they marry. Unfortunately, she dies at sea. Ooh, shades of frozen there. And he becomes a recluse with his animals in a sort of Tim Burton-esque wonder emporium of a house uh, that has some like steam pa- steampunk conveyor belts and things like that. And it made me realize. I, yeah. And it's like, it's like semi-rotoscope. So it's kind of a good introduction for your kid before you show them a scanner darkly, for instance. No, that yes, is, that's what you, I was going to say. Good. To the... The computerized rotoscoping and the presence of Robert Downey Jr. together make it impossible to not think of a scanner, <laughs> scanner darkly. It is. I was talking recently to my wife about Scanner Darkly and how Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in that is so good. And part it's of it is because he's so great. And it was at a time when he was coming back from rock bottom. And so right. he is not automatically the coolest, hippest dude in the world. He's not Iron Man in it. And I was like, oh, I forgot he can play characters other than Iron Man. And he's so good in it. That whole phase of his career, sort of like starting with the singing detective and up to Iron Man, like when it's it was basically just I don't know. It's like when some basketball player like you know tears their Achilles and they're gone for a while and then they come back and you're like oh like right this guy is incredible like we've he's just been untapped for like yeah. ten years. I would and call it the he was pro- Iron Man. Yeah, I would call it the proving they should insure me for the production period of a career. <laughs> but like, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, good night, good luck, um, you know, Scanner Darkly, Zodiac, right? Like, that whole run pre-Iron Man is is very exciting. He's so good yeah. in, in Zodiac. And then he makes Iron Man, and he's great as Iron Man, but it's like it's now fantastic. it's just... It's, Iron Man is to him kind of what Jack Sparrow is to Johnny Depp, where people are like, oh, we love this performance. Do just that. 
from it's now so, on. It's so yeah. funny that you bring up Jack Sparrow because uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s accent in this movie, Too Little, makes me yearn for the careful enunciation <laughs> of Captain Jack Sparrow. I mean, is it? And this is the this is the major one of the major performance problems. And we'll, we haven't we get to it when it's more important, I guess. But Robert Downey Jr. has made the decision to one put on kind of a strange Welshy type accent and two do every line in a hushed, whispery tone, even when he's irritated. So instead of yeah. being like animals, leave me alone, he's like. Animals leave me alone, and it was like, why does it feel? Why does it always sound like Shrek is whispering at me? I don't understand. Shrek's ASMR tape. Uh, So first, though, we meet Stubbins, a little boy who also loves animals, even though his dad is just wants him to hunt all the time. Stubbins is what I ended up realizing is a totally unnecessary character, as we'll find out. Uh, He accidentally shoots a squirrel. And rather than put the CGI squirrel out of its misery like his heartless dad does, he instead follows Doolittle's parrot Polly, Emma Thompson, who appears out of nowhere as if like Mary Poppins or Nanny McPhee, a, a magical being, and leads him to Doolittle's estate, which is full of CGI animals. And Stubbins, I gotta tell you, doesn't seem particularly amazed to suddenly see elephants and giraffes wandering around an English estate. He takes it pretty much in stride. The way you would take, like, he reacted to it the way I would, like, you see a busker on the street in New York where for Mm -hmm. an instant it distracts your attention and then you're like, hmm, not interested in that, and you turn your head away. So uh, he gets caught in... He does shriek at the presence of a a gorilla. Yes. Well, who wouldn't, Dan? He has has a high-pitched shriek. Yeah. and he gets caught in a net uh, because they are there. There's a trap there, I guess, for I don't know poachers or somebody. Okay, Doolittle. Now we finally get to really meet him. He is recluse bearded, and his animals help him get dressed in a kind of weird take on the scene. In in a was it Snow White or Cinderella where the animals help her dress, or both? I uh, think possibly it's Cinderella. Sleeping Beauty, but also maybe all of those. Look. Disney princesses cannot get dressed without the help of animals. We know that. Yeah. It was like a little bit of a, like Pee-wee's Big Adventure thrown in there. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It made me realize, so in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I remember as a kid seeing that sequence where his breakfast gets made by his weirdo machines and thinking it was so amazing and so funny. Rube Goldberg is listening to our podcast and is so mad you just called them weirdo (laughs) machines. (laughs) He's like, say my name, asshole. Say my name. I had one legacy. This is the one thing I'm remembered for. Uh, please, as a fellow Jew, remember me. And I'm like, hey, buddy, I'll put a stone in your grave, but like, leave me alone. So, Not my but, appearance in artisan models. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, the, the, I don't think I've seen ever since then, like a kind of steampunky clockwork Rube Goldberg thing that has captured that level of magic. And why do you think that is? I was curious why you guys think that this, unless this, this really hit you with a sense of wonder and possibility, <laughs> this sequence. Well, I mean, the Pee-wee thing is actually, like, you think of that as like, kind of a frantic movie in certain ways but you it takes it slow you you watch every individual thing happen and you're amazed like there's a there's a physicality to everything that happens like it feels like that is an actual machine rather than some cgi creation because they didn't use cgi and also like it leads up to the joke where peewee eats an incredibly small amount of breakfast before being oh, And then wipes full. his mouth with the napkin very daintily. When I was a kid, yeah. my sister and I, that's all we would do after we ate was we would just take napkins and lightly dab the corners of our mouths like he does, and we'd leave all this food on our face. <laughs> he, it also, like, it reflects his personality, right? It's, like, silly and overly busy, and, like, you know, like, he's, he's very invested in it, and it's funny, whereas, like, I feel like Doolittle is... Uh, not even he's so laconic and uninterested in his magical house full of magical animals like 
It seems like these things are happening to him. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked about his dead wife before, but I do think that I, I want to take a moment and talk about how, like, so this is why he's withdrawn from the world, and I do not understand this need for movies to give these kind of magical characters tragic backstories. Like, if you think about, say, Willy Wonka, right? Like, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like, Willy Wonka doesn't have the arc there. Like, Charlie has what the closest thing to an arc in that movie. Willy Wonka is just this magical pixie who is himself and doesn't need to have a reason to be that way. And, and like, I feel like Doolittle, like, it should be the same thing. Like, Dr. Doolittle is Dr. Doolittle. No need to be like, oh, he has a, a dead wife, and that's motivating the action of this movie to some degree. Well, Dan, Dan, I was reading Variety the other day, and there was this article saying how studios <laughs> have all these fridges lying around, and you just got to throw oh. these wives in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're losing money on those fridges if they don't put <laughs> wives, girlfriends, and assorted parents in there. I mean, also, remember, Tim Burton perverted that by giving Willy yes. Wonka a tragic backstory, which was yes. sort of an odd decision. In its I mean, own it right, wasn't that tragic. It was just no, that his dad didn't let him eat candy, right? Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. But, but it was the, like, look, I have a weird, I'm a weird defender of that movie. I think it's a bad choice it's not that Johnny a Depp is movie. making. But yes. otherwise, it's a pretty good adaptation of the book, except for they, add, they shove in this dentist shit in the middle why, of it. Why do you think it's a bad <laughs> choice for Johnny Depp to make? Uh, I think it's a little too creepy. Like, I think that Willy Wonka is should be this character who makes candy, but his relationship to kids is uh, hard to pin down. <laughs> you know, but like... I mean, I feel like that's what you got in that movie. I think I, I admire that in a world where uh, Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka already exists, there's no reason to do that Willy Wonka again because it's perfect. But... The uh, that like he was uh, like Who's... there's a lot of shit in that movie that's not Gene Wilder that's not very good. No, but I'm just talking about Gene, Gene Wilder's Wilder's per- amazing. No, but right. I'm Wilder Gene Wilder's amazing. Wilder had it down. I'm right. just talking about Gene Wilder's performance. Okay, just Gene Wilder's performance is perfect in that, and I think it's a valid choice for Johnny Depp to be like, mm, who's a recluse who lives in an amusement park and wants kids around? Michael Jackson. <laughs> I'll make the character like Michael Jackson, and I think that's it's a it's a valid choice for that character, even if it doesn't totally work ultimately as an entertaining thing to watch (laughs) yes um i think the dead wife i mean everything about this movie is a little shrouded in mystery because it was reshot and i'm sure we'll all talk about you know but stephen gagan i think you know who is a bizarre choice to make a dr doolittle movie he's probably the one who's coming in and is like this should have pathos this should be about trauma and working things out he should be more of a brain doctor than a body doctor like that everything seems to stem from that, all these weird, I, dark decisions. I think that's probably part of it. Well, there's only three types of ways to adapt old stories now. You can either do a, a prequel that explains how he became Dr. Doolittle, and it's all sure. about him learning how to talk to animals. You do a, a gritty reboot, like we talked uh-huh. about, John Doolittle, MD, where he's talking about what a massive ding-dong he's got, and <laughs> yeah, someone's yeah. killing the animals of London, and he has to like find the Jack the Ripper of animals. Or you do it like this, where it's like... Remember the Doolittle stories from before, and he lived happily ever after? Well, whoever told you that must have lied, because Doolittle's got some sad stuff, too. But now he's going to come back, where it's the kid rediscovering. Life doesn't work that may, baby. Wave, baby. Yeah, where it's like the return to Oz of Doolittles. Like, that's the only other way to do it. And they chose the one they wanted, and of those three, that's the one I'm... It works the most for me, I guess. Um, Elliot, there's not the only way... You could do it... The way that I think they're... Oh, no, Sam, you can do it. I'm just saying now, those are the three 
studio-approved ways to adapt a no. story. Prequel, Do it. dark reboot, or it's 20 years later and somebody's got to shake them out of their doldrums. Well, I guess this isn't an American movie, but you can do it the Paddington way, which I think at the at this film's best moments is what it's trying to shoot for, honestly, and and not really doing it. But like, just 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 fucking accept the book for what it is, accept the vibe of it, like, um, not you know, explain why there's this bear from darkest Peru who likes marmalade and wants to go to London too much. Just have that be who that is and have Dr. Doolittle be a guy who loves animals and See, goes on adventures. Because here's, I haven't seen the Paddington movies, but here's the way I would have done it. So you start in Peru and it starts with Paddington's grandfather. I mean, you should, you should really watch the Paddington movies. You would dude. enjoy you the kids. Paddington yeah, I will. Great. You're right. I've got lots of time on my hands and I'll watch. Actually, every time I suggest watching them to Sammy, he's not. he thinks they're going to be scary. So he doesn't want to watch I'll, them. I will say, honestly, for me, the first one is good, but I kind of got bored. The second one is amazing. So here's how I would do it. Darkest Peru, it's 30 years ago. An old bear shows up and tells a young bear, there's a prophecy. <laughs> okay. Your <laughs> grandson, your grandson will be the chosen bear. Okay. And his name shall be Pa Ding Tun. <laughs> and so then you cut flash forward to uh-huh. I'm walking on sunshine. And Paddington is just kind of like in Peru, love and life, just being like, hey, buddy, hey, look over there. And you just hear the voiceover. Now it's just Sonic at this point, where he's like, hey, I'm having a great, cool life. But uh oh, what's happening now? Er, let me rewind a little bit. And you see how his family, like, so the movie would end with him getting to London because that sets up the PCU, the Paddington Cinematic Universe. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And that's and the next one is Pat, The Rise of Paddington and that's uh-huh. how he like meets the family. And the Starring last one, Jeremy Piven. Yeah. Yes, of course. And the last one is called uh, Aftermath. Paddington Aftermath or like, uh, or Dawn of the Rise of Paddington. And that's the one where he loses the family but he becomes the hero that they all need him to be. So that's Paddington. Now, wait, hold on. I have a, I have a very important question for David. Yes. Uh, what is it like being on this podcast and sort of like having to endure a griffin, let's say, but like one that you don't have years of friendship and, and history with? No, you're, you're thinking about you. this all wrong. I'm just like, oh, someone else can, can handle anything else. I, I'm just here to like float and have fun and occasionally oh, interject with silliness. You don't have to drive the car. It's probably exactly. Great. I don't have to try and keep trains on time like I do on my show. I'm just, I'm just here having, listening, laughing. It's great. I mean, that's, that's, it's <laughs> the thing that my friend said to me once. I was like, "Would you babysit for us?" She's like, "Yeah, I love babysitting because the kids start crying. I know I'm going home at the end of the night." It's like, "Oh yeah, that's." So yeah, that's uh, basically Doolittle- my approach to bartending. By the way. <laughs> uh, Doolittle is playing chess with his gorilla, who is voiced by Rami Malek. Yes, uh, yes. In, yep. in one in of another several... Oscar-worthy performance. <laughs> and who has the great catchphrase, I am not a prisoner of fear. Yeah, it's, and uh, there for some reason, Rami Malek misunderstands what he's being told and shows his butt to Dr. Doolittle, Doolittle while they're playing chess. But uh, ironically, a man who won an Oscar for lip-syncing is now doing just the voice while a gorilla <laughs> lip-syncs. Amazing. But uh, <laughs> it's one... I. There are a lot of really good, talented actors in this that are, for some reason, chosen to do the voices for cartoon animals and have been directed to deliver the lines as if they are people who are standing in a booth trying to get their lines done in time to get out so they don't have to be paid overtime. And uh-huh. I, it's one of these movies where it really hit me how much they needed like cartoon voice actors to do the voices for these animals. Like As much as I want—who um, was it who does the voice of the duck? Um, Octavia Spencer. Octavia yeah, as Spencer. much as much as I want Academy Octavia Oberman. Spencer to get a paycheck because she's great. Yeah. she's not my go-to person for the voice of a funny duck character. 
Um, but anyway, yeah. or like, and it's and they had they had Ralph Innocent playing the human father of the kid. Like that's money on the table, dude. He's got a great voice. He's got Throw a great that voice, and that's like a perfect like you you cast John Cena to do the voice of a bear. He's completely hairless. He's not a bear. <laughs> Get a hairy guy to do it. Get the late Robin Williams to do it. A man covered in hair. Uh, so the and the other thing which we soon learn is that. Uh, this movie takes place during the reign of Queen Victoria, and yep. the humans all speak in a sort of, you know, antique Victorian way. But all the animals speak in normal modern slang to the point where an octopus later tells Doctor Doolittle, "Snitches get stitches," and mm-hmm. the polar bear is like, "Hey, bro, yeah, you did it, awesome!" And it's like, I don't. So animals. So much as uh, you watch, when I recently watched Paris is Burning for the first time, and I was like, "Oh, all of our slang comes from drag culture of the 1980s." I didn't realize all of our slang even further comes from animal culture of the 1880s. Uh-huh. Guys, yeah, I mean, we've been stealing from the I animals. I gotta say, like, I don't understand the problem, Elliot. I don't know why you would expect animals, you know, uh, dialects to have evolved in the same way that humans uh, talk. Uh, That's a good point. Like they have this whole separate uh, idiom, you know? Yeah, that involves, like, what almost, uh, like, I would kept waiting for a pop culture reference to now, and it never quite got that far, but they got pretty close, I think. Yeah. Guys, I, I, have, I have a serious question. Now, I may have missed this, but they explain that the humans can, like, if they spend enough time around these animals and they study hard, they can learn how to speak animal language. Yes. Do they explain yes. how all the animals can talk with each other? Uh, well, they all speak galactic basic. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they specify that different animals speak different languages. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But, the, but at the same time, it's like he only has to pick up one thing, which doesn't oh, make any sense. Okay. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like when the yeah. yeah, when the kid is describing how he's learning all of the the little idiosyncrasies. I mean, it's, it's I prefer the Eddie Murphy look. He's touched by an angel. Like that's better. Like just I mean, give the, me the, that. the best the best version of it is when we we years ago we did Zookeeper with um, the King of Queens of course. and. He gets hit on the head, and I was like, oh, he's going to get hit on the head, and it's going to give him the ability to talk to animals. And the animals were like, no, we can always talk. We just don't like doing it around people. And I was like, well, why don't you talk to people and tell them not to eat you and kill you? Like, so, wait, so they just hit him on the head just to hit him on the head? No, no, yeah. he has he has an accident, and it gets hit on the head, and then the animals are, like, crowded around him. And I think it's the lion voiced by, I believe, Sly Stallone, who says, yeah, we just don't talk around people because it freaks them out. And it's like, but you have – you've been imprisoned. You know, yeah, the thing is, like, tell them you you don't shouldn't the be there. The reason it freaks them out is you haven't been doing it. Like, if you did it all the time, like it would just be part of the they fabric know, of life. Yeah, but they know it would just destabilize society too much at this point. It's just yeah. awkward at this. I point. I mean, the society that treats their lives as playthings and food. I, again, yeah. I, they have nothing to lose from this, mm-hmm. uh, so, except their chains. So Stubbins, uh, the the boy we mentioned before, he meets Lady Rose, an emissary from the Queen, the character who I believe should be in the Stubbins role because Stubbins is going to go on a quest with Dr. Doolittle and become his apprentice. And this Lady Rose character basically just shows up to say the queen's in trouble and then doesn't get to go on the adventure. And how much better would this movie have been if it was like a man and like a sassy little girl, or at least a brave little girl, rather than a man and like Stubbins who, all due respect to the to kid playing him, has no personality whatsoever, you know. Um, they also meet the scaredy cat gorilla whose name is Chi-Chi. Uh, I assume after the restaurant chain of the same name. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe he grew up to found that chain. I don't know. Uh Uh-huh, yep. 
Anyway, let's get to the plot, shall we? The queen is sick. Doolittle's like, I don't care. But after saving Stubbins' squirrel from an operation, the squirrel vows revenge on Stubbins, uh, which something which never pays off in any way whatsoever. Uh, uh- I gotta say though, the the squirrel is quite Craig Robinson. Like I laughed at a, fu- a few of his uh, lines. Like yeah, he's later funny. on, he's yeah. Later on, he's like like day twenty four. I don't know why I'm still following these lunatics. <laughs> right. I, the thing is, everyone is giving the vocal performance of okay. I'll do a weekend in a booth for you, Robert. Like yeah. sure, yeah. you'll owe me. I'll, you know, you'll owe me a favor. But. If you know, if you have a comedian like Kamel Nanjiani, Craig Robinson, at least they'll be funny. It's the yeah. it's the people like John Cena or Rami Malek where you're like, what is it you're looking for? Like you're not going to get pathos from Rami Malek. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's it's the it's the same th- problem that uh, the movie Ferdinand had. I know all you guys also talk took your sons to see Ferdinand uh, during the coldest winter in New York history, uh, <laughs> but. The or you know in the last hundred years, I took my son to see Ferdinand, and I was like, "This is not a bad movie, but the voices are so flat." I mean, part That's, of it is that they had, um, oh, what's that football player's name who's in it? Peyton Manning, I believe. Peyton Manning. I mean, yes, like, yes. don't cast Peyton Manning as a voice in your in your funny animal movie. But like, the voices, the delivery was so flat that even like, um, I'm remembering, I'm mis- I'm forgetting every single name in the world uh, from Saturday Night Live and Ghostbusters and. Uh, Kate McKinnon, like even her, like the the reads were kind of off, and it was like I don't know what's going on with voice directing these days. That uh, well, but also I mean the problem is as Billy West would rail against if he were here, like they're employing you know celebrities to do voices when that's not necessarily their strong point. Like there are actors who do this all the time and are very good at it. You know, they have nice faces that I like to look at. That's sort of the whole <laughs> deal of being a famous actor. Well, that's the funny. I, that's like a. I thought it was it, it's such a funny thing that when an animated movie goes overseas, the actors from the American dub do press overseas. So like when Madagascar was in other countries, like Ben Stiller and everybody would go do press there, even though their voices were not even in the movie. Yeah. So it's like, because they, they dub it with a local language actor. So it was like, hey, so uh, here's this movie. I'm in it, except I'm not really in it because you're not going to see me or hear me, but I'm famous. So ask me some questions about it. Griffin, I'm sorry, but I haven't. Griffin told a story about Jesse Eisenberg, I think, getting like a call from his agent being told, like, hey, Rio is like the biggest movie in Brazil. Like, it's it's huge. Rio. And Jesse Eisenberg had to be like, I, I had nothing to do. I, I'm not involved in the Brazilian version of Rio. You don't need to call me. I mean, yeah. and also for a movie called Rio to be a big hit in Brazil is like, I mean, come well, on. If it's not, you screwed something up. Come on. Yeah, and the, there's some, I don't know if it's like a sound design thing or maybe it's just the maybe it's just the voice acting or direction, but like I had a lot of trouble telling where any voice was coming from. Like I had it just it all was just this mishmash where I could never tell if like a character was on the other side of the room. Well, yeah, I don't know is... whether this is related or not, but like the the famous story about this is that like Stephen Gagan is the original director of this after there were before there were reshoots did not have it planned out where the animals would be on screen (laughs) which is crazy a crazy way to do a movie with cgi animals and so a lot of it is adr like a lot of it is like jerry-rigged after the fact yeah gagan was just like we'll figure it out like he he did not get i think that you need to plan pre-vis all this crap in advance because there's a fair amount of like ostriches running by in the background with their heads off camera while they say a line, and it's like, yeah, okay, I guess they just they just stuck that in because they had a line from the ostrich and he wasn't in the scene at the moment, so they had to have him run by in the background and say it. Uh, but they're gonna go; they have to go save the queen because here's the thing: the queen gave 
Doctor Doolittle the the lease for this house. But if she dies, he's gonna lose the house, and the animals are gonna have to go to the zoo. And the animals shave him so they can go. Uh, we're introduced to the other animals. They're Dab Dab the duck, uh, Octavia Spencer. There's Plimpton the ostrich, who's Kamal Nanjiani, Channing Tatum as the polar bear, whose name I forgot. And Stubbins kind of stows away in their trunk. Meanwhile. Back at Buckingham Palace, the evil Dr. Mudfly, played by Michael Sheen, is leeching the queen to ensure that she dies. Uh Uh-oh, there's some nefarious doings about. But luckily, Gyps the dog uh, smells something suspicious, and then the queen's octopus, after telling Doolittle snitches get stitches, uh, tells them it's poison. It turns out the only cure is the fruit from the Eden tree, the very tree of legend that Doolittle's wife was looking for when she died in a storm. Bump, right. bump, and, bum. And, and like Doolittle explains it, he's like, oh, it's like from a tree no one has seen on an island no one knows exists. And like, like he does like this whole thing. And I'm like, well, then how, like, how do you know about this island? Like, if... <laughs> <laughs> is it supposed to be like the tree of life? Like, is that the idea? I have like, to this assume is... so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel All like right. that must well, have been fine. an idea. That must have been an idea in the movie at some point. That mu- yeah. that was either elided or changed. But also, they say like uh-huh. it can cure anything and gives eternal life. But that's not what yeah. the fruit from the tree in Eden did. Like uh-huh. the tree in Eden, the fruit gave you the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, the queen, I assume, already knows yeah. good and evil, or she shouldn't be in charge of a country. <laughs> uh... So you're saying uh, being uh, nude is evil, <laughs> Elliot? Uh, so I, I have to say, I was expecting Doolittle to have to go get in a riddle contest with Wotan in order to get this fruit, <laughs> but I guess I was disappointed. There's Ooh. no mythological happenings at all in the rest of this movie, right? No, uh, well, we'll see. Perhaps there's a mythological animal later on. Uh, Stubbins, he sneaks along as a Doolittle's apprentice on this journey. There's a brief giraffe chase where a French dog, right, or fox or something, is riding a giraffe. and it's, Yes, that it, is Marion Cotillard. It's one of those things where at the end of the credits, it's like Marion Cotillard. And I was like, not only do I not know why Marion Cotillard was, it, was chosen, I don't know why that character was in the movie. Because all she does is... She just has that one scene with the giraffe, right? Where I assume she's the giraffe's like lover, and that's why she's riding on the back with Stubbins. Like it doesn't that, make any was sense. That, and the giraffe was Selena Gomez, right? Uh, yes, the giraffe <laughs> is Selena <Thank> Gomez. <laughs> I just have to imagine there's a whole like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern plot with them that they had to cut. I why else Probably. would you bring in Academy Award winner Marion Cotillard as a because French fox named Tutu? For all those kids who loved Lovey and Rose and want to yeah, see her in right. more of their movies. Yeah. Uh, of course. It involves them jumping onto Doolittle's bridge, boat from a bridge. Uh, it's all very unnecessary. Uh, and Polly, the parrot, Emma Thompson tells Doolittle, you need a human around you to remind you that you're human. Uh, meanwhile, this evil aristocrat, played by Jim Broadbent, wants to kill the queen and take the throne I don't know if he really understands how monarchy works. If the yeah. queen dies, it's not going to be this random Chamberlain dude who becomes the king. Like yeah, that seems, seems like pretty basic. Kind of a military coup is what he's planning. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Well, yeah. I mean, he... what, you know, to weigh in with my knowledge of British history, if this Thank is you. young wait, Victoria, wait, David, did you li- live in England or I is did, that I did live in? England. Oh, you lived in England. You grew life. up in England. Yes. Interesting. Oh, yes, yes, and that's that's something that's normal and well known about me, and it's regular <laughs> news. Um, if Queen Victoria, I mean, how old is she supposed to be? Right, she's in her thirties. This is young Victoria. This is young Victoria. 
Yeah. Um, you know, so her kid would be like 10 years old, if not, you know, so maybe maybe he's looking for a regency. You know, he wants to like sit on the throne mm. while there's a child king. Maybe, but it's like, I don't know if Victoria had any siblings, but usually the younger sibling would then... No, uh, no. Because I don't know that I, she had I, any children No, at that point. it goes kids first, then siblings. But I, I don't know that expert she... expert in royal <laughs> primogeniture. But I don't know that she had any kids at that point. Okay, she, Stu, well, Stu I'm going to need you to use your kids. famous research skills to look up how old Queen Victoria was during the events of this movie, which is based on true fact. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just it was just so strange to me to see Queen Victoria presented as a young woman. When in my she, mind she, she is a she's a stout, dowdy old lady who says we are not amused to Sherlock Holmes. So yeah. I'm uh, I just I plugged that into the search bar in the metal archives. No, res- no results. <laughs> okay, oh, disappointing. Especially yeah. since since Br- Britain has such a strong presence in, on the metal scene. Yeah, but, you would you think. So, and Jim Broadbent, you know, I've seen him play bigger, crazier characters, but, you know, it's fun to see him. Uh, and he's got, uh, he's got Michael Sheen delivering his best, like, John Hodgman-style character mm-hmm. as uh, an evil doctor general, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah. My, and Michael Sheen, Dr. Mudfly, is, a, is obsessed with how Dr. Doolittle always got everything he wanted, and everyone thinks he's so great, but he's so crazy, and he, Dr. Mudfly's going to get it. And Dr. Mudfly seems to keep forgetting that Dr. Doolittle lost his wife to a shipwreck and <laughs> has lived as a recluse for years. So he's like, at the end of the movie, he's like, Dr. Doolittle, now you're going to see what it's like to not get what you want for a change. And it's like, he's a widower. Come on, man. <laughs> he's like, a widower. And also, you are doctor to the queen. Like, have you not ascended to your highest honors? <laughs> Yeah. Like what is your what's the what more could you be? Maybe that he just said, always wanted a pet gorilla. I don't know. Yeah. That said, Michael Sheen is one of the one of the best things about this movie. I feel like uh, even I think reviews the at best the time. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's Michael Sheen is acting in the movie that this wants to be. Because look, guys, yes. I'll put some of my cards on the table. I did not find this to be as disastrous a movie as I had been led to believe, partly because it looks beautiful. It's bright and colorful. It's not grim and gray and beige and, and brown everywhere and, like, black and white and with no colors. But it's, like, it wants to be this, like, cartoony – or it should be this cartoony romp, like you're saying, Dan. But instead it's, yes. like, it's weighted down by all these elements that don't really fit into that. So by the time they are, like, literally running from Barbary Coast pirates – uh, it's like, why is this boring? Like, I don't understand why they're, they're in a they're in a pirate they're on a pirate island fighting a tiger, and it's boring for some reason. Um, I will say, I watched this film again. Thanks, guys. Um, you know, <laughs> Thank you for putting the work in. I appreciate it. Um, Even and, Dan doesn't always uh, do that. Right, I rented it on iTunes, and I just got an alert from iTunes that my rental period's almost up. So, you know, obviously, <laughs> I got to keep an eye on that. But. Uh, and on my TV, I did not think, it, I think this is a quite bad movie, but it's pretty easy to ignore. Like you can just kind of like have it on and like, oh, what's okay. Antics. Okay. Yeah. The animals are making jokes. Seeing this in a theater, you really, it really felt like being imprisoned with it. Like, and, <laughs> and really, it really like when you're really locked in with it, it really highlights how bizarre some of the editing and some of the sort of story uh, smoothing is like, it will jump from scene to scene with the parrot trying to like fill in narrative gaps really quickly mm. in this way where you're just like, is an act missing? Like what happened? Oh, that's right. I forgot that like to mention uh, this comes up, especially with the pirate Island where they're like, we're going to have to sneak into that pirate Island. And the, and Polly is like, so they did sneak into the pirate Island. And then this is what happened. And it's like, was there going to be a scene where they snuck into the pirate? Island? Like, <laughs> it feels like there's whole reels that they were just like, I don't know. They must've fallen off the truck. Who cares? See, just put it out. That's, 
that's very interesting to hear that it was a different experience because uh to your point like when we were watching it audrey was like see this would be a perfectly fine thing to take a nap to on a sunday (laughs) yeah i was i was i was like oh man this is gonna be disastrous and then I was like, I my I briefly considered watching it with my son, and I was like, ah, eh, I don't want to subject him to it. But now I'm like, eh, he could have watched it, and it would have been fine, and you uh-huh. know, he would have. I'm sure he would have enjoyed parts of it. Like this is. Yeah. Not, I mean, not, he, he might have been uh, there. There is that. Uh, there is that like kind of erotic scene where Antonio Banderas is just languishing amidst uh, beautiful tigers. Like I don't know, it's pretty erotic I oh don't the, know post, the wanna... post-tiger orgy scene where you know yeah, that the... fucked a bunch of tigers. <laughs> i don't know if you want to introduce yeah. children to that no, it's a little intense I, I mean that the real problem is my is my son during the giraffe chase would be like what voice is that where have i heard that voice is that mm-hmm. marion cotillard <laughs> wait a minute hold on no it can't be and he of it would, two it would days really one him. night <laughs> the, the same way that we, we watched big hero six uh yesterday and I hadn't seen it, and I was like, who is that voice? And it bugged me the whole movie. I'm like, oh, James Cromwell. That's who that mm-hmm. voice is. Yeah. And then I said to him, yeah. oh, that's the farmer from Babe. And he was like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, so, dad. Anyway, uh, they're on, so, he, so uh, uh, Jim Broadwent sends Mudfly to go after Doolittle to stop him from saving the queen at all costs. Doolittle is on the ship. He's boxing the gorilla, trying to teach it to be brave because, uh, you know, it's a gorilla who's afraid of things. It's hilarious. Uh, then he hears an eerie whistle at night and remembers his wife. This, I don't quite know what they were getting at for sure here, uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. but it happens. And there, and that's when I realized one of the monkeys on the ship is named Elliot. So I was like, that's cool. Um, <laughs> Doolittle calls a whale to help them with a warship that Dr. Mudfly is commanding, uh, and they tie a harness to the whale to move their ship faster and the warship fires and Chi-Chi the gorilla gets scared and drops Doolittle's scuba rope because he's in kind of like a steampunk uh, scuba suit uh, uh-huh. or you know one of those aqualung type uh, bathysphere suits uh, but he survives just fine thanks to Stubbins and they escape uh, and that's when we really learn that Mudfly is obsessed with Dr. Doolittle and Mudfly establishes himself as the funniest character in the movie um, but there's a lot of like a lot of Mudfly just going like, hmm, oh, Doolittle, hmm. And I wasn't sure if I liked how single-minded he is or if there were times where I was like, I want to see a little more about what Mudfly does when he's not fuming about I mean, there was Doolittle. that good gag where he was, like, looking through his uh, telescope and Doolittle had said something about, like, how he was chinless or something. And, right. and like, way, up, way on Yeah, that was, I, that was funny. Yeah, that was uh, funny. I think that there's a sort of a meta funniness to it as well because – it's fair for the other characters to be like, why is there a fuss about this Doolittle guy? Downey is barely trying. Like, you know, like, <laughs> to, our, you know, the performance is so baffling that it, like, I can under, like, Sheen should probably just be Dr. Doolittle. He'd be a good Dr. Doolittle. He would have been a great Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. Like, he would have been a fantastic Dr. Doolittle. The fact that, that, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, it's not just, like, Doolittle's not just a reluctant hero. He's a reluctant, reluctant living being. Like, <laughs> yeah. you expect, well, like, also- I, don't, I don't know why this guy didn't, didn't do still like just stop breathing and see if and pass out ever, over and over again that, just to get away from day-to-day life like he seems to hate just existing what i rem- that's where the depth comparison makes sense too where it's like i feel like both these stars became kind of almost hostile to their own charisma they just got sick of their usual thing and were like well how about i just tie all my limbs behind my back and see if you know the movie's still a hit like how, yeah. how un how yeah. anti fun can i be well, well, there, well there must be something it, it's similar to uh yeah when somebody is so it becomes so effortless to be successful that you try to sabotage right. yourself to see 
what it is, or or you're so worried. <laughs> I know all about that, Elliot. <laughs> like, I'm sure, I'm so, sure the so, studio is like, just do Iron Man. That'll be great. Just be Tony Stark. And and like for whatever reason, obviously he did not want to do. That. I mean, because he had just been Tony Stark in like nine movies over two decades. Yeah. So he's like, and all that made him was a billion dollars. <laughs> The other thing about his performance, though, is, like, just get a fucking English guy. Like, Robert Downey Jr. is great, but him sure. trying to do a Welsh accent, like, like this is this is a little better than his terrible English accent in the Sherlock Holmes movies, but I, he's not a character guy in that way, I don't think, so why put that on him? And like, I think Michael Sheen, uh, is he Welsh? Yeah, he is. So yes, like you got Welsh. a you got a Welsh guy who'd be really great at it right there. Yeah. But Michael Sheen doesn't open big blockbusters, Dan, because without a big star, what do you have to convince kids to go see a movie about a doctor who talks to animals and goes on an amazing adventure with pirates? <laughs> what possible po- possible reason would a kid want to see that for unless it has a big boffo box office name in it, like Channing Tatum? Like, are kids like Downey Juniors in it? Okay, but who voices the polar bear? Like, John <laughs> Cena, all right, let's go. Friday they're like, night. Is, they're like, is anyone from the big sick in it? Uh, yeah. They're like, I'm real into alt comedy. Is Jason Mantzoukas in this movie? <laughs> Was Jason uh, Mantzoukas clearly added very late in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that feels like that uh, didn't. I mean, I, I was just glancing through the trivia. Didn't like Seth Rogen or somebody take a stab at a couple rewrites? And I feel yes. like Jason Manzukis's part either got completely added or totally bulked out because, I mean, it's it's funny, but it doesn't add anything to the story of the movie. I mean, he does he does wake up a tiger at one point. Oh, that's true. Uh, now, speaking of, it's time for the side quest that involves Jason Mantzoukas, because they can't just go go straight to the Eden Tree. It's on an island that never exists, that nobody has ever heard of, because it's not real or whatever. They've got to go to Pirate Island to steal Lily's journal, because that's the only place that says where the island is. Uh, this island, it's called, uh, what, Monteverde, I think it's called, and it's run by King Antonio Banderas, whose character's name I don't remember, but he is Lily's father, and so he's especially mad at Doolittle, because he blames him for not being there when Lily died, as if Doolittle would have been able to save her from the shipwreck. It's a little unclear yeah. why he thinks Doolittle should have been there at the time. I don't know. And, anyway, and but he blames and kids, him. Kids can tell that uh, Antonio Banderas' character is going to be an evil king because he already has multiple statues celebrating himself before he's dead, and that's never a good sign, and kids no. are aware of that. Yeah, kids, are, I mean, kids remember their Roman history, and they're like, hmm, shades of Caligula, perhaps, as they nudge each other. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then, the ti- then the tiger orgy happens, and they all get it. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, this guy's super cool. Uh, so they team up. Stubbin sneaks in with the help of some mafia ants and a heart-sick dragonfly. Uh, <laughs> but accidentally, they wake up the king and his lions. Oh, they're lions, not tigers. I'm sorry. It's tiger a tiger later. Uh, and he wakes up, and he locks them all in a dungeon. He lets Stubbins go, but uh, he wants Doolittle to be eaten by a tiger named Barry, uh, meanwhile, Doolittle is being taunted by a criminal rabbit who is also in jail with an eye patch, and it's one of those things where it's like, wait, so is this rabbit like a rabbit that talks and is a criminal and commits crimes? Because the other mm-hmm. animals don't have like the other animals. The idea of locking up in a jail cell seems crazy. Yeah, what was his beef with Doolittle? He seemed to have a personal dislike which the rabbit of, or the tiger? The rabbit. Well, 
The rabbit. Either I'm not, one of them. I wasn't really clear. Well, the tiger is a former patient of Doolittle's, and for uh, some reason, Doolittle abandoned him, uh, and yeah. his and his his feelings of never living up to his mother's uh, expectations for him. That's the tiger. The rabbit just seems to be a jerk, and the rabbit has the line that made me wish, made me glad my son didn't see the movie because it would have become his favorite line. Where the tiger walks in, the rabbit goes, "Oh, did Doolittle do a little doo doo?" I think you did do a little doo-doo. And I was like, oh, boy, okay. I was, the thing was, I was actively appreciating the fact that this movie didn't seem to have any toilet humor for a long time, and then it all came at once. Yeah, it's it's backloaded. Yeah, rushing rushing out to you like a blocked-up dragon suddenly releasing a huge gas fart uh, right in your face. Uh, There is also, this is the part where uh, uh, he's being attacked by this tiger. He tries a couple different funny ways to stop him, but he can't. Uh, Chi-Chi the gorilla finally overcomes his fear and kicks Barry in what Barry refers to as his Barry Berries. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's almost like at this point with Doo-Doo and Barry Berries, yeah, Dan, the movie just kind of like, is like, you know what? We're just doing the toilet humor. It's like the story yeah. Albert Brooks tells about opening for a band and not getting any laughs, and he goes, so I did it. I said shit. And then the audience goes crazy because he starts swearing on stage, <laughs> and they love it. Uh, so they, find, they steal Lily's journal, uh, but Mudfly takes it, and he's like, yeah, I'm a bad guy. I'm going to kill Queen Victoria. See ya. And they sink Doolittle's boat, uh, and the polar bear saves the ostrich, thus cementing their friendship, a subplot that was not really set up too far ahead of time, but it was set up a little bit, that they had, were kind of prickly with each other, but now they're best buds. Yeah. Um, now, little, now yes? why, why is Michael Sheen going to get the magical thing that can cure the queen if he's just trying to kill the queen he, to stop robert Downey jr from getting it and maybe he's also going to be like look i made this discovery i'm famous now alas too uh, late to save yeah. our beloved queen well but also they, they they try and explain it they they say that this uh island has all these like like unknown flora and fauna that like because he's a scientist to he will get all the glory of 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 studying it, I guess. I wish they had gone even farther and made Charles Darwin the villain of the movie, and <laughs> and and Martin Sheen was playing Michael Sheen was playing not Martin Sheen or maybe Martin Sheen was playing was playing Charles Darwin, and it was like no. If animals can talk to humans, it throws my whole theory of evolution and natural selection out the window. I have to defeat Dr. Doolittle. Like, that would be very funny to me. And so he has to go, and he's going to make this big scoop. He's like, it's going to be a second Galapagos, this uh, this magic island. Oh, I'll call it On the Origin of the Species 2, the re-origining. Okay, guys, mm-hmm. I think we have Dr. Doolittle 2 already ready in the can. Uh, so... Dr. Doolittle's ready to give up, but uh, the Pirate King, he says, hey, look, we both miss my daughter, uh, so you need to keep going, and he gives them a ratty old pirate ship. They use whales to track Dr. Mudfly to Eden Island, and they finally get there, and the soldiers that are with Mudfly capture them, and Mudfly's like, hey, 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 I finally beat you. I guess not everything comes easy to Dr. Doolittle. Again, as I mentioned earlier, forgetting that Dr. Doolittle is a depressed widower <laughs> and has lost the single most important thing to him Basically in the universe. has no will to do anything whatsoever. <laughs> Who would yeah, have been really- a hermit? If not for their plot to kill the queen. Yeah, he's, he's he really... just scraping by at this point. He almost got eaten by a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, I imagine somebody being like hating Franklin Delano Roosevelt and being like, see what it's like to not be the golden boy who gets everything. And Roosevelt being like, I can't walk. Like, look at me, dude. Like, I, I'm in a wheelchair. Did you forget about that? Uh, so, But then 
uh-oh, there's a guardian for the Eden tree. It's a dragon. That's right, everybody. Someone mentioned dragons offhandedly once earlier in the movie. That was all the foreshadowing we needed. Dragons. The dragon scares the soldier away, and Doolittle instantly picks up dragon language because uh, he's just that good. They bond over having both lost their spouses because in this world, even mythological <laughs> creatures have a certain amount of trauma and survivor's guilt. Yes, uh, this was exactly the end of uh, of uh, Batman v Superman, basically, where they're both like, your mom was Martha? My mom was Martha. Like, <laughs> like, like we're both widower, widows or widowers? Uh, he uh, manages... And the, and the dragon eats one of the British soldiers, which I think is kind of a stirring commentary uh, on anti-colonialism. <laughs> and yeah, it apparently has a lot of the uh, the Spanish army digested in her belly. There's a whole... There's all these axes and helmets getting pulled out of her. <laughs> the dragon, yeah, has, de- has devoured a lot of Spanish and now at least one British soldier. Um... <laughs> And dragons, we learn, like snakes, just swallow up in the whole thing whole and digest what they can from it. Because, yeah. guys, it's time for the apex of the fart humor. This mm. dragon has a blockage in its rectum, and Dr. Doolittle, using only a leak because he's Welsh, will have to release it. And so he manages to remove all this armor, thus freeing an enormous fart. That hits him square in the face, and every character seems to get their line where they talk about how smelly it is. And it was like, I get it. Just pick one. Just have one character I, comment. I will make a not not full-throated defense of this fart joke because I hate Go fart jokes. Go on. Well, I don't hate fart jokes. I I don't think they're necessary in a movie like this. Dan, do you um, think your throat should be the part, the orifice you're using to uh, defend this? Or the passage in your body to defend right. this fart Let joke? Let me position my butt to the microphone. No, I... The one thing I like about this uh, fart Dan's joke... Dan's butt sounds just like his regular voice. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I liked about this fart joke is how matter-of-fact everyone was after the world. The fart joke. They were like... They, they were all like, oh, you know, it happens to everyone. Nothing to be ashamed of. Like, everyone was like trying to make the dragon feel better about the giant fart. I'm like, oh, that's kind of... Kind of sweet. So there's a little everybody poops sort of uh, reaction to this. Yeah, I mean it's it's a real it's a real strong tolerance and anti bigotry message that we all fart. So are we really that different after all? Even murderous yeah. dragons who devour humans whole. <laughs> uh, while yeah. protecting some kind of quasi mystical thing, fruit, because then she says, "Hey, you have proven to me by helping me both psychologically and anally." That you deserve this Eden fruit. <laughs> and so they have the Eden fruit. They finally get there to Buckingham Palace just in time. The queen is just on her deathbed. Her life meter above her head is is just blinking that last bar as it yeah. as it disappears. Yeah. Right. The, the sonic music is playing. That's where she's at. <laughs> yeah. And Jim Broadbent has literally declared her dead at this point, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he jumped the gun a little bit on that one, but he had his yeah. reasons. Uh, the bad guy, Jim Broadbent, he tries to have them arrested. But the animals clear a path for stuff who manages to like slide through someone's legs and catch the Eden fruit and squeeze a drop to her lips. I would have just smashed the whole thing into her mouth. Like, yeah, yeah, but he decides, he, he decides to hope that this one drop makes it to her lips, uh, but it does. She revives, and a stick insect, who Dr. Doolittle left on a painting there days before, rats out the Chamberlain. And the Chamberlain does the classic bad guy thing of once he realizes they've got him dead to rights, instead of continuing to deny it, he pulls out a knife and tries to fight his way out, which is yeah. the guiltiest thing you can do. Yeah. 
he is caught by the because yeah. instead of being like, well, I'm the Chamberlain of London, and that's a stick insect that you say <laughs> is talking. None of us can hear it. Like, I don't know if it's going to hold up in a court of law. You interpreting for a stick insect, and uh, like, and how can you trust this stick insect? All it did was sit around on a painting all day. Like, yeah. what a boring thing. Like, I, 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 I wish it went to trial, and he was like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Can we trust an insect that's already trying to deceive us into thinking it's a stick? I rest my case. Your witness and and do Robin had kept his cool, he might have gotten away with it. Yeah, this. the prosecutor for the state is like he just eviscerated our case. We've got nothing now. <laughs> Shit, our lead witness is a bug. Who came up with this? <laughs> Uh, okay, let me uh, bring in bring in the next witness. Uh, he got stepped on. What? <laughs> yeah. At worst, uh, they you know like they would they would cut a deal with the prosecutor in this situation. <laughs> but the idea that everyone's like, yeah, yeah, Doolittle says this bug said that thing. I guess he got him. Uh, Doolittle takes on Stubbins as an apprentice, and he reopens his home as a pet hospital, and also leaves the movie open for a sequel. During the credits, we see paintings that seem to depict Doolittle and some of the animals being knighted by the queen. Uh, yep. So there's a Sir Doolittle and a Lady Dab Dab, I guess. And yeah. uh, in the, uh, there's a mid-credit scene that did not go the way I thought it was, where Doctor no. Doctor Mudfly is still alive in the cave, and it uh-huh. seems like it seems like he's picked up the language of the bats in the cave, and it was like. Oh, so he's going to come back in the sequel as a bad guy who talks to mean, like evil, sinister animals. But then the yeah. bats, it's implied, I guess, eat him. They turn him into Morbius the living vampire. It's, I guess so. They swarm all over him and then he's gone. Image. They like cover him. The swarm of bats <laughs> in this children's film. Yeah, presumably they eat him to the bone. <laughs> And uh, that's and that's the end of it. And I guess we'll never find out what happened to Doctor Mudfly because I don't think there's going to be a Doolittle two or too little. I guess is what no, they would call it. Yeah, I think this I movie expected... lost about a hundred million dollars. I don't. I don't yeah. think anyone's getting any sequels. I expected a mid-credit sequence where we find that his wife is still alive, just shipwrecked somewhere. <laughs> And I, I would have been willing to even lay a bet on it, but instead yeah. we get death by bat. <laughs> yeah, I was I was hoping yeah that she was gonna walk out onto a beach and be like, "It's gonna be carnage," and we're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. If that would I make more sense if you knew context. the if you knew the comics already. That would make a lot more sense. Yeah, and also, yeah. why Woody Harrelson is wearing that crazy Wendy's from Wendy Wendy from Wendy's wig, <laughs> Raggedy Ann wig. That <laughs> oh, is it is one of the one of the it is so goofy to me to get talk about Venom for a moment. This uh, is a movie that has yeah. already decided that Venom, a character whose sole existence is to get revenge on Spider-Man, does not need Spider-Man in his story, but Carnage does need to have curly red hair because that's <laughs> what it's like in the comics. <laughs> Even though he's played by a famously bald actor. Like, it's... <laughs> comics okay, movies are done that way. So do little. Let, Dan? Let's do our next uh, segment that ties up the movie talk about uh-huh. Doolittle, and that is to decide final judgments, whether it's a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie kind of like, guys, I'm not going to say it's a movie kind of like, but here's the thing. I come down where Elliot is, where he's like, I thought this was going to be a fiasco, and I was like, you know what? Whatever. <laughs> like, here's the thing. I think, I think that this movie is not has a lot of problems but it would not have been viewed as such a huge fiasco if it wasn't the movie that robert downey jr decided to make directly after his hugely successful run as iron man tony stark like it 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 has 
problems, but it it it's making a stab at a kind of like high adventure children's thing that I like in general. Like it doesn't have like the pop culture a minute references of a Sonic, and I kind of appreciate it for that. Like if this movie was basically the same movie, but they made it animated, you know, pretty good. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know I kind of feel the same way, and I know that there's movies that I really liked as a kid that are no better than than this movie. Like, and there are movies that people I know liked a lot from when we were kids, <laughs> Goonies. That I think is this is a better movie than. Come, come at me and hate me on the internet, guys. I think it's a better movie than Goonies. But uh, I think it's. I think um, the, the move. I the. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I'm curious, David, to hear what you're saying. Your experience in the theater was different. That you felt kind of like well, trapped with it. Experience in the theater. It's, it's. It's. I will just as I was saying. Like, there's a lot of hasty editing and sort of strain. You know, cuts to the animals, like singles on the animals that are just sort of saying a joke that just suggests like whatever the initial concept was here, it's lost. Like so, yeah. there's instead like sort of several steps. There's the you know, dark, you know, he's a sad, depressed guy and his animals are sort of depressed too and they all need to figure out how to weather emotional pain together. There's that through line. But then there's also the ripping high seas adventure, kids movie. And then there's the sort of, well, we got in a bunch of celebs to say funny stuff. Like, it just feels yeah. like there's a studio movie, there's the original director's movie and then there's this sort of like salvage job, okay, Robert Downey Jr. movie. And... I would take any of them and call it just a regular old bad movie that is perfectly entertaining for kids. Putting them all together makes makes it feel pretty like wince inducing. But I I know what you guys are saying. The Downey the Downey thing really hurt it. Like the sort of like oh yeah. people were sort of waiting. You know they were smelling blood. They wanted a bomb just to ding him with. Yeah, I kept seeing in reviews that point that Dan was saying that, like, this is the movie that Robert Downey Jr. decided to make as if he right. owed it to the world to to make – he owed it to each individual reviewer to make the movie they wanted to see him make. Yeah. Whereas, like, I don't know, maybe he's always loved the Dr. Doolittle stories or maybe he was like – I've, I, like he was a, he, I think his what was that, his what was company, that movie made the, the what? rural juror or whatever the the judge <laughs> the judge oh, the judge yeah people oh, want ju- more of the judge <laughs> well, like, I mean just it, it, just that like uh but it was it was one of those movies where uh I was I was just expect I was like this I mean the trailers for it made it look like an even more of a mishmash than the movie was because the trailers were done up as if it was like a big dramatic adventure movie but then you'd have the quips from the animals but with dramatic music over them. So it was like, who's made this trailer? What's going on? But uh, I found myself be, like kind of thinking it was going to be more of a disaster than it was. Stu, you're the, you're the tie-breaking vote here since, since well, that's not David gets three correct. votes. <laughs> okay. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's two to one right now. I'm going to be on Team David here. I will give this movie a B-. minus. That's right. Not enough Tony Banderas. Uh, <laughs> a B minus still seems really generous. No, that's a no, very generous grade. Yeah, uh, I'm just joking. No, I didn't like this movie at all. Um, worse than Sonic the Hedgehog. Raves Stewart. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's sloppy and uh, like it. Yeah, it does it be, like it doesn't even seem to care that it's on there on the screen. It's you know, it's barely See, a movie. If you had this movie and you put Jim Carrey's performance from Sonic the Hedgehog in it as Doctor Doolittle, yeah, you'd have you'd I'd be like, sure, yeah, I'll let my kids watch that any day of the week. Sure, that's fine. It would at least have a sort of consistently manic energy in that. You know, th- there's 
two things that I found sort of Googling around is one, Robert Downey Jr. decided to be Welsh because of the famous Welsh, like neo-Druidic doctor guy from the Victorian era, William Price, is someone that mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. thinks is a cool dude, I guess, or is fascinating. So he's like, it's that'll like be my vibe. like an actual Dr. Doolittle, right? Like- right, right. And like that's Who, a again, funny idea. Who again did a lot of stuff. The name is not a good name, but anyway, yeah, you're saying good. That, it's a funny idea, but not for this movie. Like not, you know, it it feels like he just had sort of a fun idea that relate does not relate to a movie about a farting dragon. But then the Hollywood I mean, I think reporter, it's a little unfair to call a movie about a farting dragon. The farting well, dragon the is in is, one sequence. The Hollywood Reporter sort of quote unquote expose about like what went wrong with Doolittle said that. Downey met up with the guy who was rewriting it, tore up the script's pages dramatically, said, I have some new ideas with a twinkle in his eye, and proposed the farting dragon conclusion. So I I don't know what to believe. Like, did he want to make a weird Welsh doctor biopic or did he want to make a farting dragon movie? Uh, I mean, maybe he wasn't maybe he wasn't sure himself, you yeah. know? Uh, this movie is a little a, unsure of itself, I would say. Oh, to be I, a I stick say. bug on the wall of that conversation. Yeah, <laughs> but I, you, I you'd would need assume. Robert Downey Jr. to translate, and you'd be like, well, you could just be saying this, Robert Downey Jr. Like, I don't know if the stick bug really thinks that. <laughs> I mean, I, this is just a guess on my part, but I would assume that, like, yeah, the goofier shit this movie was the stuff that was, quote, quote, trying to save it. Right. And I think there was the original a, movie. Right, was oh, dark. I, there I was mean, a fear I, yeah. like, uh oh, this isn't going to be a kids' movie that plays. We need to yeah. juice up the jokes. That makes it, but I still, still like it could have. I mean, I had, I, if anything, now I'm like, it doesn't fully work at the end of the day, but I like give them credit for trying to kid it up and lighten it up yeah. so that we didn't get a super dour Doolittle movie where like his, where it's where like, uh, trying to think what else would happen in it where like he has to murder someone at the end or like, <laughs> with a pillow like, he just puts it, a pillow over queen victoria's face <laughs> and cries and says i'm sorry <laughs> yeah i or mean he like turns his back on humanity and the last you see of him is just naked wandering into a jungle to be with the animals <laughs> i mean i'm uh, so much of it felt like the that robert downey jr most likely came on set he had this very low energy kind of weird character that he had dreamt up and nobody want, like could talk him out of it, and they're just right. like, "Oh fuck it, okay, you, let's you just can't get this say shot." No. Right? Like we'll shoot it, and then we'll fix it. Um, yeah. That combined with Stephen Gagan being like, "Yeah, we can do an emotional two hundred million dollar movie," and because he had Downey's backing, he was allowed to. With that caveat of like, "Well, you know what? We'll just do reshoots. Like if it doesn't work, we'll just do reshoots." I mean, yes, you can do a, a huge emotional blockbuster movie with Robert Downey Jr. in it. It's called Avengers Endgame. Boom. In theaters now. Oh, Actually, it? it's not in theaters now. It's been out of theaters for a while, I guess. And also, theaters are largely closed. <laughs> yeah. Don't go to theaters right now. Go again when it's time, when things have opened up. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, don't go. What are you, a, what are you, a what you're, theater what you're commercial is, right now? <laughs> wasn't it nice when Avengers Game was out and there was no pandemic and we went to see movies and Robert Downey Jr. was in them and they were nice? Back when he could do no wrong. Um... <laughs> So I guess, Dan, does this fit into our rubric at all? Should we try to give it ratings? Because mine is also nah. some... I, I wouldn't quite call it a movie I kind of liked, but I don't I don't think it's good, bad, or bad, bad. So. Yeah, same here. But these guys think it's bad, bad. That's I think fine. the bad, bads have it. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, oh, no, that's right. David gets extra votes, yeah. Hey, Max Funsters, it's Jesse Thorne. 
This week on my public radio interview show, Bullseye, I'm talking with Tina Fey and Robert Carlock about creating Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, 30 Rock, and also just kind of why they're the best at everything. There was a window of time when we would just go to awards things and pick up our prizes and party with the people from Mad Men. You can find Bullseye at MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. All right, Adam, uh, Maximum Fun wants us to record like a promo to tell people that they should listen to The Greatest Generation. You want to do that? No, I am tired of all the extra work. I just wanted to talk about Star Trek with my friend. I think it would be good to like try and get some new listeners by appealing to the audiences of other shows. Like this, this will only take a minute or two. It could be good for us. We sit down for an hour every week and talk about a Star Trek episode and make a bunch of idiotic fart jokes about it. It's embarrassing. If it got out that we made this show, I think it would make us unemployable. Adam, I have bad news for you. We have tens of thousands of listeners at MaximumFun.org. Oh my god. I think I'm going to throw up. The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. Every Monday on MaximumFun.org. I'm really going to be sick. The Flophouse is sponsored in part by Squarespace, the service that allows you to turn your cool idea into a new website, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and more. And they do this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers with everything optimized for mobile right out of the box. Your site will look great on all sorts of devices. A new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, free and secure hosting. So if you're looking to make a website with Squarespace, head to squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, Use the offer code FLOP to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, Dan, I, just very briefly, I had a website I was actually wondering if Squarespace would be able to help me with. Uh, uh, sure. Uh, ask, just, your, ask away. I was inspired by this movie. Uh, I have an idea for a website. It's called www.doless.com. The only uh-huh. website that will match you up with an animal that will do your chores for you so you don't have to do as much. Look. We are all doing too much these days. I know I'm taking care of two kids, holding down a job, and trying to finish a jigsaw puzzle. It is a nightmare. <laughs> if only I could hire a hedgehog to finish that jigsaw puzzle or watch my children for me. Welcome to DoLess.com, the only website that matches you up with an animal that can do that stuff for you. Dan, uh, what is there anything going on in your life that you wish that like a lemur or a slow loris or a, ca- ca- a uh, oh, cassowary geez. could take care of? Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of dishes that pile. I mean, you know, a lot more cooking at home. Dishes pile up. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Laundry because I'm trying to wear actual clothes every day so I don't s- uh, slip into depression. Uh, those things would be great. I thought I found it interesting that you wanted your animal to possibly do the jigsaw puzzle for you, which it seems like the recreational thing that you listed. Dan, all I'm all saying is stuff. I've got too much on my plate, and this animal's okay. got to take something off my plate. If that means mm-hmm. eating my dinner for me off a plate, then go ahead, Aardvark, do it. So, Dan, <laughs> I think maybe uh, you're looking for, like, mm, I don't know, like a salamander or perhaps a uh, like a mockingbird who'll do that laundry for you. And let, let me just put that into uh, doless.com. That's the sound it makes uh, when you Mm -hmm. put it in. And (laughs) it looks like there are squirrels in your area 
that will be happy to wash your dishes for you. Now, again, I mean, doless.com. Let me just get the legal stuff out of the way. Doless.com okay. cannot guarantee that these animals will do the job well, and we are not legally liable if they break anything yeah. or soil anything in your apartment or house. But look, we're just a middleman. We're not we're not legally liable. We're just here to connect you with the animals that want to do those jobs. Think of it like Task Rabbit with actual rabbits. Doless.com. Oh, now, uh, Snow White, not notwithstanding, which I have been rewatching because uh, I've been reading a, a, a Disney biography. Uh, I don't think that squirrels have the body strength to do the things that you are assigning them. I, I'm not assigning they, anyone anything. Dan, you I, put I think your... I read in a book they can lift like 10 times their body weight. Yeah, yeah. Or wait, am, am I, I thinking of ants? Ants. Oh, so you're thinking of. But maybe, and maybe what, an ant what did he say? What did he say? Squirrels. Oh, okay. They sound alike. They do sound very similar. <laughs> Dan, I'm not assigning them anything. You put your job on the website animals offer to do it for you you pay them in acorns or whatever just stop putting this on me not legally liable (laughs) i'm just the middleman that's do less.com okay Okay. let's move on Uh, trying to promote my new website that i hope squarespace can help me with and you got to start telling me it doesn't work and you haven't even tried it yet okay i think the next the next part of this podcast is the jumbotrons that's where you tell us something to say and in this case, uh, what I am saying is, I am a freelance graphic illustrator who specializes in fantasy and sci-fi portraits. My pieces make great gifts for anyone who likes tabletop, fantasy, video games, or their own special fandom. Just visit illustration.com to check out my commission work. Now, I need to clarify the spelling of this. Uh, this URL is I L L U S. T-R-A-T-I-A-N dot com. Uh, and I just checked it out, and it's really great. And you'll see some familiar faces in the commission work, including uh, some of our friends over at the Adventure Zone. Um, and I'm assuming Dan gave me this uh, Jumbotron to read because out of all of us, I'm the only one who has commissioned a portrait of one of their role-playing game characters from an artist. <laughs> uh, now, that's just a guess. I don't want to sully you guys. I don't want to paint you guys with a brush, but... Is that true? Have you uh, any of your favorite role-playing game characters? Have you paid to have them drawn by an artist? Stuart, I I have essentially one role-playing game character. <laughs> okay, you know him. The only art that's been done, I uh, you know, has been done by listeners. It's not. Uh, yeah, I did not commission anything. I well, recently maybe, I recently hired someone. Uh, to... Yeah, I'm I'm just saying maybe this will give you the uh, the opportunity to uh, get that character drawn over at our over at illustration.com. Okay. Uh, well. I will not continue my story because it would have been pointless because I've got another Jumbotron. This is a message for Jen, last name withheld, and it is from Kevin, last name withheld. And the message goes like this. Happy birthday to the most amazing, sweetest, most beautiful love of my life. There's nobody I'd rather be trapped indoors with and especially nobody I'd rather be sharing the world and my life with. I love you with all of my heart and all of my other guts too and promise you an unlimited amount of face bonks and ghost kisses forever. So that's for Jen from Kevin. How sweet. That's really lovely. Do you guys have any s- stories about love that you want to share? Uh, uh, n- n- no. Okay, then let's <laughs> move on to, we got one final thing to promote. Flophouse listeners, have you ever wondered what it would be like to see a live Flophouse show in your very own home and maybe the hosts haven't showered and are wearing pajamas or haven't shaved recently? I don't mm-hmm. know. Look, there's a lot going on and we're not taking good care of ourselves. Well, here's your chance. June 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, 
we are going to be doing a live over the computer Flophouse talking about something show. We're going to put up a link at the flophousepodcast.com where uh, you can find out where to go to see it. We're still working out the tech details. That's right. The Flophouse boys are bringing their patented brand of don't really know what we're doing, but we're going to try it anyway to live online shows. Guys, is this going to be with like presentations before it, just like a regular live show in person would have? Yeah, we're going to have uh, our usual comedy PowerPoint presentations. Uh, I mean, this is going to be as close to a live show as we could do over Zoom. So people who have seen a live show can enjoy one from the comfort of their home. But people who you know don't live where we've come before, this is your chance to get that experience or close to it. Guys, uh-huh. are we are we going to talk Without about having to commit to like leaving your home to do it? Now you'll realize whether or not uh, we're just going to waste your evening. <laughs> you'll know that you never have to leave your home again to see us, uh, guys. Are we going to talk about Howard the Duck, the movie that introduced the world to the idea of ducks with boobs, which they wouldn't need because ducks don't bear live young; they lay eggs. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's correct, Elliot. Good point. <laughs> and guys, are we going to do this for a charity yet to be determined because the three of us have not yet been able to agree on a charity to do it for? That is correct. It will be free to watch. However, throughout, we will be encouraging uh, donations to charity. We will have a place to send folks and uh, we will have some sort of raffle. Yeah, uh, so, and offering some kind of prizes like this prize I keep threatening uh, where we're going to set up a website called only Dan fans, where if you're a fan of Dan's, uh, you can come and we'll just see pictures of Dan, maybe chat, all that kind of stuff. Oh, my son would love that. He's a big fan of Dan. Not me, though. So that's June 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. And just go to theflophousepodcast.com for more information about where and how to see it. Uh, okay, so let's move on to letters from listeners. Listeners like you. But it's a long show. Don't have time for a song. Do little letters. <laughs> this first letter is from James, last name withheld, who writes, Corden, James Corden. Elliot mentioned the lighthouse was surprisingly relatable in this time of isolations. But is it the best thing to watch? There's some things I can't go to the CDC for, so I come to you. What's the best thing to watch now? Something similarly isolating? Something totally freeing with crowds and normal life? Something that can uncomfortably enmesh itself into my now fragile psyche, sending me into a downward spiral of an unending fever dream trapped in repetition with no end in sight? I hope you can help us make sense of life in the way you always do with film. Sincerely, James, last name withheld. Um, I, I, It's weird. I, during quarantine, have been going in two opposite directions. Uh, I have either watched things that sort of echo life as it is right now in interesting ways, or I have gone for uh, total lightness. I think that the one thing I can't stand right now as much as I could maybe is something that takes a lot of intellectual uh, or emotional energy from me. But, uh, but like you know, Sonic. I watched... Yes, <laughs> like Sonic... But I watched like um, a movie called uh, what was it called? Await further instructions, which is about a, a family trapped inside during a disaster that they know very little about, and there's themes of uh, scapegoating, racial scapegoating, like stuff. There's a authoritarian but not very bright, perhaps uh, father character who sways people very easily. Like there are uh, uncanny parallels to. 
life right now, and I in, kind of enjoyed it for that in a grim way. And then on the other side of things, I've been watching like I don't know Audrey Hepburn musicals and rewatching Thirty Rock. Uh, so I, I think both are are good ways to go. How have you guys been choosing your entertainments right now? Uh, just speaking for myself, I've been watching a lot of um, some light things. But also, and I've been watching Newsies over and over again because that's what Sammy wants to watch. So uh, if you look at, at the pie chart of movies watched over the, the quarantine, like fully 35% of it is just Newsies. Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. I think I'm trying to achieve a sort of normalcy by just watching the things I would normally watch. You know, uh, during our Last Blood episode, it, I remembered that I hadn't watched a lot of Japanese movies in a while, and so I've been watching a bunch of Japanese movies that I have on my cable box. Uh, I, I've been trying to uh, just kind of like make a little pocket of normal for myself where I just watch the movies that I would be watching if nothing else was going on. Uh, but that's just what my one way of coping with it. Stu, David, what have you been watching? Well, my, I, I've been watching a lot of TV with Charlene. We've been doing a, uh, we've been doing a, well, it's a rewatch for her, but we're watching The Shield, uh, oh, the yeah. er, early 2000s FX, uh, Michael Chiklis, uh, police, I guess, procedural. Um, and it was, it was kind of like, it was pretty important when it was originally released. And I'm assuming it was important because the fashion choices are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and like every other episode begins with like a sad Alice in Chains song. Uh, but it's, uh, it's great. Uh, I like it a lot. And, uh, and we're punctuating that with weekly, uh, releases of the, what we do in the shadows TV show, which is the best television show currently on. <laughs> So watch that if you haven't. Yeah, I I've been all over the place. I, we we did watch the entirety of the OC, me and my partner. So it's not like I'm not binging old TV that I enjoyed when I was young and fancy free. But uh, I do. I've been wavering between like watching uh, sort of comfortable classics that I enjoy and trying to like knock off you know, things on my criterion watch list, you know, trying to fill in gaps, you know, take advantage of the time. I wrote a piece on the Atlantic about Westerns. I had a whole like a couple weeks where all I watched was Westerns just cause I wanted stuff that was set outside. Like anything yeah. with like vistas and sweeping landscapes was, uh, was sort of doing it for me. That, that was probably the most fun phase. So like Wild Wild West, <laughs> Wild Wild West, yeah. and then yeah, Lone I, Ranger. You know, sure, I mean yeah, Lone Ranger, Maverick, Eleven. <laughs> no, like a lot of a lot of you know a lot of old class, you know Red River, uh, Rio Bravo, things like that. Like just you know just fun stuff. The uh, nice. I will find watching movies. I'm being not tr triggered is the wrong word, but like kind of shocked by little mo things that I didn't expect to. Like Dan. Uh, my wife and I are in the middle of watching a movie you recommended a while ago, The Best Worst Thing That Ever Happened, right? Oh, the one about uh, about Merrily We Roll Along. And there's the part that's weird about seeing like a theater full of people watching a play, but it's even weirder to see television news covering a play in previews that is having trouble with its production and being like, <laughs> oh, the news used to cover stuff that wasn't like the end of the world. Like yeah. the news would sometimes cover that these famous people are making a play and it's a musical <laughs> and it's not going great. <laughs> and like, yeah. it was just, that was the most shocking thing to me. Uh, but in a nice way. I was just watching, uh, I was just watching that underwater movie, the monster movie set underwater. Absolutely. 
and the uh, and there's there's some stuff in it that I really like, and uh, all the interiors are great. But specifically when they're like walking around in these like cool robo suits underwater, uh, and you're like kind of trapped inside this little shell with the actors, that stuff's all really great, and it was kind of more affecting for me. Uh, but yeah, and then then the movie had to will pull back, and you'll get this big sweeping vista with Marvel style Chirons, and you're like, oh, that's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I enjoyed Underwater. I like it when a movie doesn't have a first act. I'm always a fan of no first act movies. Yeah, it throws you right in it. Yeah. uh, uh, So we're underwater. Oh, no, the whole thing exploded. (laughs) Like, that's the beginning of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, like a lot of times. I guess we'll introduce ourselves while we deal with this. Hi, folks. See you (laughs) later. Well, normally a movie like that would explain, like, oh, let's spend the first third of the movie explaining why this thing is so important and, uh, like, why it'll never yeah, explode oh, how it later works on. and right yeah uh no you just want to see it explode that's that's all i'm here for well that's funny it's it's funny how um movies will get complimented for opposite things like i feel like i've seen so many reviews where they're like the great thing about this movie is it really takes its time and explains who the characters are before the action happens and other reviews were like the best thing about this movie is it really gets into the action right away and doesn't waste time explaining all the characters and it's like wait a minute i guess it's whether they do it well or not <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's always the reviewer who's like i wish they'd spent more time explaining who the babysitter was before she died and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead <laughs> well that's you've reached talked about my gritty reboot of don't tell mom the babysitter's dead when are we going to finally tell the babysitter's story so it ends with her getting to the house so you know it's like a joker style yeah. thing where the movie yeah. ends just as the character becomes remotely interesting mm-hmm. uh so I'm, i guess yeah no i was just imagining a much like grimmer version of don't tell mom the babysitter's dead now where they like put her in one of those like those big uh, like uh, freezers in the garage and they like have to do all this I don't know. Like they, yeah. they, they fear kid, that they're, they're going to be suspected they're... by the murder. You know. Yeah, and the and the little and the youngest kid thinks that the body is talking to him, and he's his psyche yeah. is breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. Babysitter anyway. of the flies, we call it. Uh, this second and final letter is from, I believe, I'm going to try and pronounce this Kier. I don't know. It's K I R E. Apologies if I'm doing it wrong. Um, but Kier writes, "Hi." I'm a Toronto filmmaker, and my new feature, The Last Porno Show, just premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. I just listened to your latest podcast on The Joke Thief. Thought it was great. A little story about The Joke Thief. Apparently, the script was 10 pages. One of the a- <laughs> I mean, apparently, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> One of the actors told me the script consisted of a few scenes and a bunch of spots where it just said, scene will be added here, which I believe. <laughs> I've had to transcribe three of Frank's scripts. Oh, Frank writes his scripts by talking into a voice recorder until he's bored, and whatever he comes up with is the film. There's no revisions. <laughs> it's fucking insane. The reason, uh, the reason why I'm reaching out is because Frank's, I'm Frank's second largest fan, the first being himself. I've been obsessed with him for years, so much so that I casted him, cast him in my film. Not only is this the first time Frank has acted in someone else's film, but it's the first and only time he got invited to TIFF. He plays a method acting teacher in my film, and it's easily the best acting he's ever done. Aside from casting Frank in my film, I've had the fortune slash misfortune of helping him on his own films, easily the most stressful thing I've ever put myself through. I could go on for days, but just to give you an idea, we shot his new, 
his two new feature films in two and a half days, and one of them <laughs> is a hockey film. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, anyway, uh, Cure promotes uh, their movie, uh, The Last Porno Show. I can't, you know, speak to its quality, but, you know, it has a couple reviews on online. Seems like it uh, got pretty good reviews. Uh, and you can see Frank D'Angelo in a different film, not directed by himself. That's yeah, David, are you uh, David? Are you familiar with the works of Frank D'Angelo? Uh, I, I mean, familiar in in that I know of. I have never encountered. I've never actually put myself through them. Do you think oh, okay. I should? Do you think it's like you know a nice quarantine project for me? <laughs> uh, I mean, the Atlantic. The Atlantic is looking for articles, right? <laughs> it's true. I mean, we, you know, you got to make content about something. No, no. I mean, I guess you could just go to the theaters and write about what's playing there. Oh, hold on a second. Yeah, it looks like Frank D'Angelo is your new fa- best friend. <laughs> I mean, a movie I, called The Wretched has been the number one movie for two weeks in a row at the box office. It's playing in like some drive-ins in Florida. I think uh, No Deposit is probably worth watching okay. right noted yeah, yeah that one's the closest the one to an actual movie and <laughs> it, while still being like amusingly bad uh the like he just, it, it is a trend downward <laughs> yeah don't All see right. the joke thief and uh and sicilian vampire is only worth it for the scene where james Kahn asks him to bite him so that he can make him into a vampire and doesn't seem to think there's anything weird about that uh, it does sound pretty good but i'm seeing that i'm seeing here that no deposit is 80 minutes to sicilian vampires 124 so i think i'm gonna go with no deposit no deposit does have does have two of the best lines in cinema history and i won't tell do, you what they are do not spoil them Let's just say Frank Langellis. Enough, Frank Langellis. Uh, says um, uh, Robert Loggia says one of them. Yeah, Frank Langellis. Another, another big uh, if only if only he could have yeah, been in a Frank Ro- Angelo. Robert Loggia's last role, right? I believe it is. Yes, yeah. uh, oh Frank Angelo specializes in giving famous actors their last roles. <laughs> it's true. Uh, every every one of his movies them. doubles as a last known photo for a former Hollywood star. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so guys, uh, time for our final segment, and that is recommendations of movies, uh, movies that you should watch, probably instead of Doolittle, unless, I don't know, you're like a Uh, Mm seven-year-old, in which case you shouldn't be listening to this show. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie that we watched just recently. Um, Audrey is a big fan of Henri-Georges Clouseau, but has not seen... You know several of the movies, and she was interested in *The Wages of Fear*, which is one of my favorite movies. But I was like, "No, not two and a half hours of that tonight. Let's watch this movie that neither of us had seen. That was ninety minutes, called *Le Corbeau*. Oh, *The Raven*. The, *The Raven*. Yes, uh, and it's about um, there's a doctor in a small town who uh, becomes the target of some poison pen letters, and then sort of everyone in the town becomes the target of these uh, letters, uh, all signed by the Raven, and it creates chaos. No one knows who it is. It's, um, it, it you know, uh, he's talked of as the French Hitchcock. This movie is kind of right at the corner of Hitchcock and Film Noir Avenues with uh, with a lot of... Frenchness thrown in and uh it's sort of a thriller sort of a just a drama about the way mobs can tear things apart and it's also 
um, it was it was banned for a while. It has like very frank talk about abortion and sex sexuality in it for a movie that was made in 1943, and I think it's kind of interesting too because uh, it it feels absolutely no need to make its protagonist likable in any way, which uh, you know makes it very easy to sort of like suspect everyone in the film of of some sort of wrongdoing. But it's it's it's. You know, like I said, 90 minutes. It's on Criterion. Uh, we liked it a lot. Stuart, what you got? Oh, uh, I will recommend uh, the recently released on HBO, Bad Education, uh, starring everybody's favorite jacked man, Hugh Jackman, uh, <laughs> Ray Romano, Allison Janney. Uh, it's, uh, the Every time movie- someone says Allison Janney, I think they're going to say Allison Chains. Every I single time. I have that experience right now. <laughs> Um, so sure, look up Alice and Janney on your metal uh, website. Yeah, metal archive. <laughs> uh, let's just give me a second. Mm, just known for uh, one recording of the Jackal. Wow, it's, 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 it's <laughs> so uh, yeah, it says no results. Um, the yeah, so it's uh, it's the second uh, it's the second movie directed by the direct uh, Corey Finley, who directed Thoroughbreds, um, and it's this great thriller based on based on an article which is based on a true story about a uh what is it long island uh superintendent who had been uh, skimming money from the district um and it's this thriller about corruption that slowly reveals the story uh in such a careful and specific way so that you are kind of dragged along uh like this conspiracy slowly unfolds for you the viewer almost just like it does for the uh, the characters in the movie. Uh, it's really great. Um, and in a time when there's not a lot of new stuff coming out, it's uh, it's a real gem. So if you get a chance, check it out. Uh, I am going to recommend a movie. I mentioned earlier that I am watching more Japanese movies because I realized I haven't seen a Japanese movie in a while. And I finally got to see Floating Weeds. That's right, Floating Weeds. It's an Ozu movie uh, starring Genjiro Nakamura and Michiko Kyo. Yes, that's right, that Michiko Kyo from Gate of Hell and Ugetsu Monogatari, one of my favorites. Uh, And this is the 1959 version. This is a story that Ozu told twice. This is the version that's in color and with sound, uh, and it's the story of this kind of pretty low-rent acting troupe that shows up in a small seaside town uh, for a run of shows of old-fashioned kind of kabuki-style drama. And in that town, unbeknownst to almost everybody else, the head of the acting troupe has an illegitimate son and uh, and an ex-lover, and the son does not know that it's his father. He thinks that this is his uncle who shows up every, you know, 12 years or so. Hasn't been there in a, so hasn't been there a long time. And it's about what happens when that secret starts to come out. And the movie is told, like a lot of Ozu movies, very, like, deceptively simply and deceptively slowly. But it's a beautiful-looking movie. And he's one of those directors where when I was young, I, like, didn't wasn't quite on the right wavelength for it. But now that I'm older, I really love the way that he just photographs things and the way that he lets the stories play out. And so I thought it was really great. And uh, it has comedy moments. It's got heavy dramatic moments. Uh, and the acting's really great in it. It's called Floating Weeds. David? Love Floating Weeds. Um, I will recommend Mid-August Lunch, um, uh, which is a little Italian movie from 2008. I interviewed um, Barry Jenkins for The Atlantic a couple weeks ago, just asking him, like, hey, what are you watching? Like, Because, again, 
got to write about something. Um, and <laughs> this was a movie he recommended to me that I had never even heard of. Um, it's by Gianni De Gregorio. And he said he'd seen it at a film festival and he sort of vaguely remembered it. And he was thinking about Italy a lot, about the sort of small towns in Italy and the older population because of what was going on in the world. And he flipped on this. It's I think it's 80 minute uh, sort of like sweet, sad little comedy about a guy who starts looking after everyone's cranky relatives in his town when they all want to go on vacation in August. And it kind of is just one of those like clever little comedies that creeps up on you, like a real sense of place, real sense of character. Gianni DiGiorgio. It's on Amazon. Mid-August lunch. Great. Okay, well, we've come to the end of this marathon. David. Yes. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, you know, Blank Check with Griffin and David, my podcast. Um, we take directors who were given a blank check by Hollywood at some point in their careers, you know, to make some kind of insane passion project-y movie. Uh, yeah. And we go through their whole filmography up and down. You guys were on the Manchurian Candidate episode uh, for our Demi miniseries recently. Uh, well, that was and, fun. Uh, we're mm-hmm. just wrapping up George Miller now and... Uh, you know no oh, has he made is... any good movies <laughs> does he have one of the wildest filmographies of a blockbuster director yes yes he does um so uh enjoy that it's a it's a it's such a good show i think i've alarmed uh griffin and david by tweeting too much about how i've been listening no uh, i am like, i am uh, unalarmable okay good i uh, audrey like <laughs> came out of the room once and being like are we gonna is it, am I just gonna hear David Sims and Griffin Newman all quarantine I'm like hey man it's, hell yeah it's, it's making me feel good it's comforting me during this time so check it out I say um, thank you yeah you so said I guess, you said we'd be listening to more Allison Janney if she had a longer metal discography but I guess that's not happening <laughs> yeah so guys that's it uh, you know check out the other shows at the maximum fun. Uh, network maximumfun.org uh-huh. um, stay safe wear a mask uh, be good to each other all that stuff um, <laughs> yep yep and uh, for the Flophouse I've been Dan McCoy I'm Stuart Wellington I'm Ellie Kalen David, and David, David is David I'm David Sims this Great. is the kind of thing that we're supposed to tell our guests that they're gonna do at Shut the up. end of the episode. I, I was like eighty percent sure I was supposed to say something, but I then I then I was. What I like is, I have to assume there was a voice in the back of your mind that was like, if I'm not supposed to say something, and I introduce myself at the end, they'll yell at me, so I better not do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're pretty mean. Anyway, <laughs> bye everyone. I don't know why you feel the need to interrupt my kind uh, invitation for socializing for a neighbor, but... Consider uh, it revenge for when you interrupted me thanking him for being on the show. Okay. So yeah, there's like two hours of this shit you're gonna... This is the kind of energy. (laughs) Very excited. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned? Audience supported.